Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. We are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 251, recorded on January the 16th, 2024. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on all podcasting platforms. <laughs> I had to change that. Can you really promise that we are on all podcasting platforms? Promise is very is such a strong <laughs> word, I think. So we've misplaced Haney. Yeah. I've heard that snowboards spreads flu. Well, I much prefer her catching the flu than catching the other inherent issues with snowboards and skis she's just mended her her, um, her wrist after yeah. her last bit of a mishap so hopefully she has not broken anything else uh, going on the board <laughs> and speaking of board i'm pretty sure that she is using the snowboard that she spontaneously bought in stockholm <laughs> i think it was two years ago so we were there uh doing the uh, Data Saturday Stockholm. She was doing mm -hmm. a um, workshop. And after the workshop, she decided to take just a stroll, walks by a store, this is May, mind you, that apparently has a sale on snowboards. So she decided then and there to buy the damn thing. And then it was up to me to uh, figure out how to cart it back home, which is not that hard in a Tesla unless you have a full-size R2-D2 droid with you as well. So that, that, was, that was an interesting afternoon, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff that she, uh, she does. You know, we are now in on our seventh year of a mm -hmm. project that we both expected would survive about two weeks. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just, I keep coming back to the fact that I'm amazed by this. So uh, let's uh, let's make the best of 2024, shall we? Should we at some point think about how many hours we have spent recording these? No. And how many hours you have spent editing no. them? No, absolutely no. <laughs> no. You but... know, I'll actually compile those numbers and <laughs> we are going to do a focus on this also on mm -hmm. the uh, the tech how we set it up mm -hmm. all those things let's do a focus um, uh, yes. session on that Let, let's do that sounds good sounds good but let's dive into the news and it's kind of a quiet time after mm -hmm. the the holidays things are yeah. slowly starting to ramp up but we mm -hmm. well we we haven't got a um, january release for neither fabric nor nor power bi because they're well, busy licking their, their wounds and trying to figure out how, how to cope with 2024. But there has been some, some things come out. One is the first uh, new certification in, in quite a while, DP600, which is called Implementing Analytics Solutions with Microsoft Fabric. And this is what you need to earn Microsoft Certified Fabric Analytics Engineer Associate. This is an entry-level uh, certification, as is the case with the associate certifications. Um, the, uh, the, the fundamentals are 
as it says on the tin, fundamentals, and those mm-hmm. span multiple technologies. The associate and the subsequent expert narrow things down and go straight to to a specific product, which is kind of a difficult thing in the case of fabric, because fabric is not just one thing. Fabric is a lot of different bits and pieces. So while I don't en- envision this to be a super deep technical uh, style certification, I think it will be rather complicated because of the the wealth of, uh, of information. You've done uh, what is called um, Azure expert, architect expert. Mm-hmm. And you've also done these, uh, the um, uh, 104, what's the, the uh, solution engineering associate thingy. Yeah. They're exactly. not super hard, but they are enormous. Exactly. They, they aren't deep, but they are super broad in terms of the things you're asked to uh, to know especially the 104 or whichever is the one I took um, so th- they they are complicated because you I don't know that many people that actually work with all of those products in in one role uh, as, when it comes to the Azure exam agreed agreed because it's one thing to have an idea of mm-hmm. how a few things go together that's not good enough for the associate level certifications. You need to know how to actually set things up. So mm-hmm. some people think that the, the uh, Azure exams are irrelevant. Some people think that they are targeting the wrong thing. I'm mm-hmm. actually kind of happy with them. I, I absolutely do not enjoy them, but <laughs> they are, they're, they're relevant in my view. Yeah. So, this this is going to be interesting. I have not signed up for the DP600 beta yet. I, I'm probably going to do that. I'm finding myself in a bit of a weird situation where I no longer really need certifications. Uh, mm. First time in my career this is the case, but eh, since I'm a certified trainer, I, I still am curious about this and should I want to teach this course? Well, I need it. Which kind of brings me to the next thing that is also... Um, also coming out now, and that's the Fabric Career Hub. And the Career Hub is pretty much learn plus a lot of other stuff. Because not only do you have the um, the learn tracks, you have skills challenges, you have uh, a community, if you will, where you can find other people and, and learn with them. And also some career insights with a lot of the people that we know from the community that uh, inspire and, and guide you on learning journeys with uh, some interesting uh, videos as well. So I think it's kind of interesting that they've taken a bit of a, how can I put this? Uh, rather a wide grasp of fabric. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a lot of technical stuff that you need to learn in order to figure out fabric, but there is so much more to fabric. How do you use it? Looking at governance, uh, looking at apply, um, applying your your knowledge in in a business sense and all those things, and that's what they try to combine inside of the the Fabric Hub. So I think I like it. I'm not <laughs> certain, but are there any are there any equivalent to the Fabric Hub in any other area? I'm not aware of any so far, but I do think we'll see more of them, especially in cybersecurity, probably. 
I hope we do. Because mm -hmm. I think the the idea is very sound and Microsoft has had yep. a tendency to focus exclusively on tech, on how mm -hmm. you do things, not necessarily why you you would do things. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction. What is not a step <laughs> in the right direction? <laughs> VMware. So th this is a, a complete aside from everything that I've talked about on this uh, YouTube <laughs> YouTube channel. <laughs> YouTube. Ass, on this this um, podcast, and that is so. Rewind a couple of years before I started working with BI in, in earnest, I did mm -hmm. a lot of DBA work and I did a lot of systems administration. And mm -hmm. well, because just ask any DBA, they're not the, the most fun to be around if you're, you're a sysadmin, so <laughs> they might as well do that as well. I did a lot of work with VMware and VMware has been my go-to virtualization platform since probably the early 2000s. But then Dell bought VMware. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that bad. Eh, it, it worked out. It, it, it was essentially just a change of, of a batch, if you will. It was still mm -hmm. VMware. They were still around the same way. It was still the same licensing, uh, pretty much the same prices until now, where Broadcom or Broadcom bought VMware. And I am so sorry for everyone who's running VMware today because it's not easy to get out of. It's, it's one of the fundamental no. tools that you're yep. going to find in your, your data center. And as of right now, it um, is no longer possible to buy perpetual licenses. In fact, you cannot activate any licenses right now because you cannot buy a license. You can only buy a subscription. Mm -hmm. So Broadcom pretty much came out and said, well, that's cool. You've bought a perpetual license. That's cute. Sucks to be you. We will honor your support until the support license runs out because that's not perpetual. Mm -hmm. And then you cannot get any more support unless you switch to a subscription. Mm -hmm. So people are facing upheaval. I'll say that. People yeah. are not happy. It is no longer possible to be a um, VMware partner because they, nope. uh, they, they terminated all the existing contracts with partners, resellers and service providers. Just mm -hmm. boom. As of February 4, 2024, that's it. They're gone. So nobody knows what's going to happen with the business relationships. So it is a mess. And VMware is a huge company. VMware has a lot of customers. And I have mm -hmm. no idea where people are going to end up. Fun times. Yeah, but I have a couple of things to, to add here, which I find quite interesting. I have friends that recently joined VMware. And when I speak to them, and I, I have no reason to distrust them, they say that they have a lot of hope for the company, which sounds kind of odd. But they, they are very positive. 
they feel that a lot of things might change for the positive, especially for the VMware community, not necessarily for the VMware customers. The other part is that we know that VMware wants to sell off the Horizon part or the Workspace One part uh, and focus on, or Broadcom wants to sell off the the workplace side of VMware. Uh, And it's uh, very interesting discussions ongoing on who would purchase them, what would they do with it, uh, and how would that affect the greater EUC community? because as a wise person told me, yes, if someone buys the Horizon bit, they are still kind of dependent on VMware as a virtualization layer below it. And then you might find yourself in a very challenging and odd position where you have purchased a product, but you'll be able to use the product in the most efficient way. You must purchase another product, which is even more expensive. Um, so we'll see where we're that really takes us. Uh, And the third thing to note here is that Nutanix especially seems to be profiting from this because they, I saw a, and of course it's from a Nutanix employee, so take that with a pinch of salt, but they claim that they currently migrate between 22 and 26,000 servers from competing virtualization platforms over to Nutanix per month. And there aren't that many competing <laughs> platforms to Nutanix. <laughs> so uh, no, I we, mean we'll you, see. you have um, Oracle, you have um, VMware, you have the smaller Microsoft. players, and then you have Nutanix. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, but... call Microsoft a smaller player though, but yeah, in the virtualization space, sure. Yes, we'll see. It it will definitely impact the entire industry. Uh, whatever happens next, both in terms of Broadcom and in terms of the UC and, and workspace part of it. So we'll we'll see. So from the outside, I th- what I'm seeing is it's kind of all the hallmarks of the X Twitter debacle. <laughs> um, someone buys it and and just breaks all the good things and all the toys. Hopefully, mm-hmm. this uh, is going to settle. And as as your friends allude to things are going to change for for the better. So keeping fingers mm-hmm. crossed. Uh, I yep. don't have any VMware stock. I don't have any VMware tools. <laughs> I have no intention of getting any VMware stuff at all. And then something that we've been, I don't know, dreaming of-ish. So there's something called a calculation group in Power BI. And calculation groups are equal parts magical, uh, confusing, <laughs> and extremely powerful. They're, they're a way to um, to vastly improve both performance but also functionality with a minimum amount of code. So if you have something that you need to do uh, year over year, for instance, with the multiple measures, you can, instead of creating multiple year over year measures, you can create one calculation group. And then depending on which measure you, or which, which um, hey, let's call it the measure, you put into it, it, it's going to calculate this uh, value for you. The problem with calculation groups have been that you cannot author them in Power BI because you're going to need a third-party tool. Most often, we're looking at tabular editor. That works mm-hmm. fine. It, it's it's beautiful. It, it works perfectly. But we now have the model explorer inside of the Power BI service 
which enables you to edit data models in the Power BI service. Not only can you do this uh, through Power BI desktop and, and tooling on the desktop, but now you can do it in, in the, the, um, the uh, service and you can edit and create calculation groups. Not only can you do that, but you can also uh, fiddle around with these semantic models such as direct lake and import or direct query. So really, really powerful tooling that is coming out. I think this is still in preview, not sure, but it's there. So go, go take a look. It's, it's been out for um, a while now. Yeah. Uh, but we'll start with, and I know I, I still remember that we talked about everything that happened during the time that the Swedish tax agency went out and said, if it's a American cloud service, you can't use it, period. That was like around that time where EU in general, in some countries at least, had uh, similar views on using American cloud services. That sparked something that Microsoft calls European data boundary, where they promised, I think it's two years ago, that all data um, that are being used in any way within Microsoft services within the European Union should stay within the European Union. The first thing they did was to take all of the like service data, so your OneDrives, your SharePoint sites, your Teams, whatever it might be, and stored them uh, exclusively within European or EU data centers. Um, now they worked another year, and now they've taken the second step uh, in, into this, and now all the logs and everything, like all the service data that surrounds all of the data we actively use, is now also being stored within the EU. Uh, and are also uh, protected by various means like pseudonymization, pseudonymization. Ah, that is a hard word. Can, can you try that Se again? Pseudonymized personal data. How can you say that in in a verb? Where did, do you have it in text somewhere <laughs> so I can read it? Because I can, I cannot understand what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, this will be fun to listen to. Pseudonymized. Ah. That is a hard word. It is a very hard word. Pseudonymized. Uh, and, and after that, lesson in hard English words or English words that are hard to pronounce. Um, so that's what Microsoft taken now. The next thing they will do is to... Uh, what they say, deep investments to deploy EU-based ba EU technologies, where they claim that they will do their utmost to ensure that even if people outside of the EU is required to help from a support or maintenance point of view, uh, they should respect all of the regulations and laws within the EU. I think that this is good. It's obviously good that we have this data and that they take all of these measures to ensure that it's safe and, and fulfills everything. But in my view, it's still a lot of smoke and mirrors because it doesn't change the fact, in my opinion, that if Microsoft or the in, in practice the US government wants access to data, they can get access to data. And that will never change. And that's been the same thing all along. 
Uh, and I think that that is not the problem. We either trust the US government and Microsoft or whatever, or we keep that data that we don't want them to get access to whatever they do out from the public cloud and keep consuming it for everything else good it can do. That view is not shared by some or a lot of people in both the Swedish market and elsewhere, but I at least applaud Microsoft for making the effort to do all this, even though I don't think it changes the legal aspect of it in the views of a lot of people. Now, I don't agree with that view or with the results of following down that line of thought, um, but that's where we are today. So a significant step towards something that won't matter. A significant <laughs> step towards something that will not matter. Very well put. I, I think I will create a sticker of that. That, that, that feels like every assignment I ever been on. <laughs> uh, speaking about some speaking about something else that matter more and more, I have to say, as listeners know, I'm not the biggest fan of Windows 365, but uh, I think now starting to shape up really well from a feature point of view. I still think it's badly designed from the start. I'm not at all in agreement on how they decide to create this service, but the service that is there today is getting some really cool enhancements. Uh, so in December, Microsoft added support for Purview Customer Key uh, to encrypt Windows 365 machines, which is good. That is one of the things that I had um, thoughts on when it was released that I don't know where the storage is. I don't know how the network looks. So we can at least protect, uh, I think it's at rest, um, the, the machines. In the latest update, we now have Windows 365 Switch. And Windows 365 Switch is the capability of changing between your cloud desktop and your physical desktop as if it were two local desktops. So basically you can swipe uh, to the right and find another desktop, which is in the cloud, swipe back and you have your local desktop. Uh, they are now kindly, uh, they have now kindly enough added identification to the cloud desktop. <laughs> Uh, so you know when you're in the cloud and when you're not. <laughs> Which makes sense. Uh, Windows 365 Boot, uh, and that is the capability of basically booting straight into your cloud PC. And I have a lot to say about this feature, but if I do that, I might be violating a lot of things I shouldn't and saying things that will hurt people badly. Uh, so I won't say all the things I think about it. It's a good idea. Many vendors does it way better and have done so for years. Uh, but this basically ensures that if you have, let's say, a Windows 10 device that can't be upgraded to Windows 11, you will be able to um, basically boot that straight into uh, Windows 365 instead. Uh, and that now uh, is supportive for both shared devices. So you have multi-users that sign into the device and gets their cloud desktop when they sign in, or a dedicated device where you have your thin client, so to say, and it always boots to the same cloud desktop. Something interesting that I haven't confirmed yet, but it was a screenshot from Learn uh, that I saw on LinkedIn today, were that 
you apparently get extended support for Windows 10 if you use your Windows 10 machine to access a cloud PC. So once Windows 10 goes out of support, if you purchase Windows 365 and use your Windows 10 machine to access that Windows 365 machine, you get extended security updates included in the cost for Windows 365. It's something that I will confirm and look into, but uh, that was what the LinkedIn post said, which I find quite interesting, fascinating, and somewhat scary, but at the same kind, kind of clever from Microsoft. Um, I think we'll um, hit, jump straight to Copilot because a lot of things happened around Copilot, uh, even like the last day. But first, the most important thing to mention, and the, one of the biggest changes to keyboards in 20 years, we will now get a Copilot key. So, on new Windows 11 enabled hardware, I think it's the menu key. So the on my Swedish QWERTY keyboard, it's the key to the left of the right control key. <laughs> that will be replaced by a Copilot key. If you don't have Copilot, it will spawn search in, in Windows. But if you have Copilot, it will be your one-click button to access Copilot and start chatting away or whatever you prefer to do with Copilot. But that will now be a standardized key on keyboards for Windows devices. And it was shown on a number of devices on CES a few weeks ago. You have no idea how much <laughs> I want to hate this. <laughs> but the more I think of it... I mean, the the the, um, the promise of Cortana and, and Windows mm -hmm. Search was that it would be yeah. ubiquitous. It would just be at your fingertip. It would just work. We all know it did not. <laughs> but if they can make ChatGPT or, or, or Copilot or whatever they want to call it this week into something that actually works, yeah. it kind of makes sense to have a button about it. And I hate it. Yeah. No, you hate that you love the idea. Agreed. Yeah. So so that will start to, to roll out uh, on hardware that will be released during the year. And I, I do agree. If they make it so that it spawns Copilot in the context that you are, it's brilliant. Exactly. Context. Yeah, exactly. If it knows that you are in paint or designer or whatever they call it, and it actually understands that when you write something to it if it understands that you're in powerpoint if it understands that you're in windows if you're in, yeah you, you get the picture which i assume it will otherwise it's just stupid um there's so many things that i could say right now <laughs> but i won't that's because you can't press the copilot button to tell someone well i have you to chat with so <laughs> thank you um Unfortunately, I do not have the boundaries of AI, <laughs> so I might answer in a way you do not want me to answer. That is actually something I will speak of quite a lot this year, as it looks. Um, the security aspects of AI, and not that AI will kill us and take over the world, uh, rather how to abuse AI. 
that is fine. Uh, speaking of uh, abusing Copilot, uh, so up until yesterday, Copilot were only available, or Microsoft 365 Copilot, so to say, because Copilot that replaced Bing Chat have been available to anyone and everyone. But if you wanted it to be grounded to your M365 data, you had to purchase uh, Copilot Enterprise. Is that the right name? Can't remember. Um, but yesterday they changed all this and introduced Copilot Pro and also removed the requirement of purchasing at least 300 licenses per tenant. So Copilot Pro is aimed towards consumers, uh, smaller organizations and so on, uh, and still has a lot of nice features, uh, but it's the, the mid skew of the co-pilots that you can get from Microsoft today. Everyone can now get co-pilot. I think the mid-skew looks good. That is $20 per user per month compared to the high-end skew, which is $30 per user per month, which I think makes total sense. And I like that they introduce it and makes it available to everyone because I have a lot of smaller organizations that will benefit highly from this. I know that we are over time, but I also want I also want to take the opportunity to tell you about my latest flight to Linköping, because it actually ended up in the news. Oh, you were on that uh, one. Yes, I was. <laughs> because the news did not necessarily share the the, the whole truth. No, <laughs> no, they certainly did not. And and they also shared the view of one person that either is less. Uh, experienced in flying than I am or is just very easily scared uh, and and if that's the case I apologize but come on so when I flew into Linköping and Linköping is a very very small airfield uh, the uh, the fun part of it is that it's a test airfield for world's best fighter jets Jaws Gripen uh, and if anyone that says F-35 I will change your mind yeah uh, anyways we were flying in and I see a Jaws Gripen coming the opposite direction, flying past us. And that is not a common view. So I was a bit sad that I didn't film it and was waiting for a second one to, to appear. When we were uh, approaching the runway, we stopped to decline at one point and just very calmly fly over the airfield and do a regular turnaround. And the captain says, yeah, hey, we got too close to uh, an, another aircraft on the runway. We'll just do a a turnaround, and uh, then we'll go down to land. The news, on the other hand, said that this was kind of close to a disaster where the airplane, the KLM airplane that I were on, needed to do an evasive maneuver to avoid hitting this poor airplane on the runway. That was not what happened. So I I, I pulled the... um... The um, the communication between Ojeda approach. Uh, no, yeah. it was not approach. It was uh, the sub tower and both KLM and the uh, the uh, the fighter. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you get a TCAS or or um, mm-hmm. traffic advisory, uh, i.e., mm-hmm. anti collision system warning, uh, mm-hmm. the the KLM uh, instructions, if you will, pilot instructions mm-hmm. say you mm-hmm. do a go around. Period. Yeah. And. Yeah. The, the TCAS will alert you pretty far out. 
So mm-hmm. this was completely standard. Yeah. I'd argue that the um, the controllers might have vectored the airplanes slightly too close to each other, but yeah. it's just, meh. It happens. Exactly. Yeah. It is not, and, and like I, I compare this, uh, we can talk about my, the worst experience I've had were when we actually tried to land three times in a row in super rough weather in New York. Uh, that set the boundary or the bar for where I am in terms of flying and being scared. Um, but I've also been on uh, another flight in Edinburgh where they actually landed and took off again straight away. And the captain basically very calmly said, hey, we were running out of runway. Let's do a go around. <laughs> and at the same time, like I understand if people get scared at that point. But this, yeah. So don't believe everything you read in the news and do remember that people can feel very, very differently about the exact same situation. And I know that both me and Alexander do not like to run over time, even though that we constantly do that in this episode, but now it's time to end. It is indeed time to end. We should do a special on on flying as well. I'm sure nobody will listen to that. (laughs) Anyways, we will be back in a week. So. Until then, have a wonderful week. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need in Tech. Need in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Haini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needinbintech.com.com.